You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. So I do want to speak on life groups today, so if you'll stay with me, and my hope and intent is that we really contemplate this, and I'd like to open with this thought, if Jesus had a life group, if Jesus had a life group, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> we could probably think on that the rest of the day, but not being, not being too funny, but my mind, my mind wandered quickly as I began to think of this. I think some of his life groups could potentially, now I might call for audience participation here in a second, so if if I see minds twirling here, I don't want to subject it just to the thoughts I had. But if Jesus had a life group, maybe what would he entitle it? What would he bring groups together for? The first one I thought of, and I mean sincerely, foot washing. That might be in his top. Foot. Wow. This could be a true test in Calvary's willingness to be moved by the Spirit. There was the freedom that was in the Spirit minutes ago is gone right now. <laughs> Absolutely gone. I mean, some people like just tighten their laces just a little bit. And I think Nathan Varden was the first to be willing to have his feet washed. Yeah, you probably need four sets of hands on those slabs. We're going to have two people... And in a very spiritual moment, Nathan would say, in between the toes, please. (laughs) Nothing touches my soul like praying in between my toes. All right. Maybe another another life group Jesus would have, maybe something simple, is storytelling. One of the greatest storytellers in history. Of course, maybe fishers of men. On that topic, maybe fishing basics. Well water could have been a topic. How about conversations with the demoniac? (laughs) Water walking? Table making? Wait for it. Nine lepers leaping, how to not be unoffendable. Right? How to not be offended there. So nine lepers leaping. How to survive a storm? Okay. Neck casting? Crowds 101. How to Speak in Parables. Another title might have been 12 is Not a Crowd. Mustard Seed or Mountain. And my last thought, 5 equals 5,000. So, I don't know. If, if you want to text me your ideas later, I, I will await them. We could laugh together. So, it's, it's not... If Jesus had a life group, Jesus did have life groups. It's how Jesus did relationships. How and who did he call? He was very selective at times, and other times anyone could come. He would fit into our life or our free market of life groups very well. He called the ordinary. Anybody feel ordinary today? There's nothing wrong with feeling ordinary. Maybe you want a day where you do feel ordinary. He called the ordinary. He called the doubtful. He called people that hated. He called people that were hated. He called people who made mistakes. 
What was he doing with them? What was, what was he doing as he gathered these people for his life group? He was teaching them. He was training them. He was simply just living life with them. And at times he was doing what? Being very intentional to prepare them for the next step. Which the disciples, as I've referenced for the Pasley already, jokingly let us know how much hope we had because of their moments of ignorance and not really understanding what was going on. But when you begin to think of how Jesus did this, and when we think of in context of life and what he was doing with the people that gathered around him, we begin to think of the miracles. His first one, water to wine. Imagine yourself there at the wedding. Imagine yourself one of the disciples watching for the first time and wonder if this was going to be part of the new beginning. Conversations of hope and redeeming love at a well. A group being told to cast their nets to the other side and then asked to follow Jesus. What if you were there when he flipped the money changing table in the temple? What about when he called Matthew amongst the crowd, the tax collector who everyone hated, said, come and follow me? What if you walked by the home when he sat there with the sinners and ate dinner? The day he called Zacchaeus down from a tree. What was Jesus teaching people? What was he training them? It was countercultural in all that he did. The day the woman with the issue of blood touched his garment, his disciples thought he had lost it. Who touched me? Jesus. We are surrounded by people. We, we people, their hands are all over us. We can't, we're barely getting you through the crowd. Who touched me? Are you serious right now? I, I felt virtue leave my body. What a moment that they stood back. The day he healed the blinded eyes. The moments he raised people from the dead. The paralyzed, they walked. The deaf could hear. The moment the disciples watched him walk on water for the first time and calm a storm. The day he multiplied five loaves and two fish and baskets upon baskets left over. The countless miracles, signs, and wonders. And even when he had reached the end of his ministry, it's hard for me not to mention the moment when Peter separates the ear of the Roman soldier and he picks it up as they take him away and put it back on his head. Jesus did life groups on a whole nother level. What was his purpose of life groups? Why did he bring people together? Why the disciples? Why the crowds? Why did he let the crowds come? Why did he let those come to him that needed healing? Why did he only go to specific ones that needed healing? Why did he randomly meet people at a well? It was for the power of fellowship and what could be done when they came together for the right purpose. Matthew 18 and verse 20 it says, for where two or three are gathered together, everyone say together. together. 
in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Luke verse 24, verses 14 and 15. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned, stay with me, come along with me on this thought. But when they came together and conversed and got together in one mind and one accord, that Jesus himself drew near and went with him. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when you think of this, when you think of these people coming together, when we talk of these things that Jesus did, at the end of these people that were surrounded or touched by him, how did they feel? They felt fulfilled. They felt for the first time in a long time, they had a second chance. All of a sudden, they felt restored. All of a sudden, someone felt free. All of a sudden, somebody felt like they belonged. What, what we're not meant to feel in this life is being alone. It's actually our nature to desire relationship and fellowship one with another. Genesis 1:27, God made us in his image. So God created him in his own image. He made Adam. Adam named all the animals and realized he still needs a companion. He made Eve because he said it was not good for man to be alone. He designed us. He created the first people for companionship, for relationship, for fellowship. And then it was God It was God who walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. Even God came down and wanted to have what? Have fellowship with his creation. Wanted to walk or stroll or breeze through the garden. It's in our nature to seek relationship with people. God sought relationship with the first humans and he created and made us in his image to seek relationship with with each other. First John 1 and verse uh, 1 through 7, it says, and I switched this earlier, you guys are on it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and the bear witness and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have, this is John saying what? You may have fellowship. Because of this, you can have fellowship. And truly, our fellowship is really with who? When we fellowship with each other, okay? When we lean on each other, when we're in relationship and we're doing life with each other, we're having what? Fellowship with the Father, We're having fellowship with Jesus Christ. And these things, it says from John, we write to you that your joy may be full, that you might be fulfilled in living in this stream of fellowship. Verse 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, so if we're saying that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and walk in the darkness, we lie. 
and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So vice versa from what I mentioned earlier saying with each other, it goes hand in hand. If we are saying we have a relationship with God, our life will bear witness of it that we have fellowship and we have relationship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So Calvary, why do we do life groups? I hope that people this morning, as you walk through the fellowship hall, as leaders brought things, I hope we had fun. There were donuts. Why can't you have fun? There's donuts. And coffee. I didn't have coffee, but there's coffee. Tony, did you get your coffee? Next time. I'd leave right now and go make a cup. It's probably chocolate milk. But they're exciting. We're excited to do life groups. It's fun coming up with names of things. It's it's fun doing what? Sharing passions and interests that you have in life and getting groups together. Sometimes it's just the right thing to do. You've walked through a certain circumstance in life and you want to do what? You want to uplift and encourage someone else. Our whole goal in all of these things is to do what? To move, I'll say all of us, one step closer. Words from our life group paperwork. Our life groups are built off of gifts, passions, needs, interests. If we join a life group today, does it help us stay in the light? Is fellowship amongst believers that powerful? Relationship defined is the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected, or the state of being connected. It's how we stay connected. So, so it's, it's by what? It's by what we define our life groups by. It's odd because we say we do life in context of relationships, and it's saying that people are connected or state of being connected by what? By how we define what we've entitled life groups at the Calvary Church, by interests, hobbies, jobs. Do you have, are you friends with people at your job? You should be. <laughs> Location. We live in the same area. Family. Some of you are stuck there. Family. And passions. Biblically, biblically, we could and we would say that God commands us to do relationships through love. So when we process relationships with each other, we have to look at the fact that God tells us to do relationships through love. The greatest two commandments is what? Love God and to love others. It's odd. It's relationship. It's, but it's, it's love. So fellowship with him then fellowship with others. And because love is available to us all, we don't all have the same gifts and talents and passions in life, right? But available to all of us is love. And that's why love is the greatest. When you consider your gifts and passions, think of sharing them 
with people because the greater gifts are those that are more beneficial to the body of Christ. As God, our creator, the one who gave you the gifts and talents that you possess and work with in life, I encourage you to think that the greater gifts are those that are more beneficial to the body of Christ. Paul said one gift was not more important or superior than the other. One body part of the body of Christ was not more important or more significant than the other, but he urged believers to see how they can serve the body of Christ with the gifts they were given. Our gifts are not given to us to glorify ourselves or to go ahead to put ourselves ahead or better than others in our lives, but they were given to us to do what? To serve God and enhance spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. They were given to us to help people, to help ourselves move one step closer. Consider with me the letter Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A few verses here, and we know that it it seems even silly in context, but it emphasizes Paul's point. For as the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body, being being many, made up of many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Emphasizes the point that many parts make up the one body, and not just one part can be exclusive. So I say here in in context and hear what I'm saying that to emphasize his point, he states, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has the set of members, members, each one of them in the body just as he pleased, and they were all one member. Where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, the body of Christ, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another." And the one member suffers, all the members suffer within it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Last two verses, 27, 28. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After, the mir- after that, miracles and the gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Amen. We are the body of Christ, and we need each other. We all play a part. Whether mentally we think we're significant or not, we can't operate without each other. Some days you feel like an ear. Some days you feel like a foot. 
an arm, whatever it may be, Paul emphasizes and makes very simple, very practical. We understand what he's saying. And who's the hardest critic? We are. We're the hardest critic on ourselves. We're the ones typically saying that we're not significant. We're the ones typically saying, I have no part, or I'm not lifting up, or I'm not doing something. We're the hardest on ourselves. And the word of God Paul writes to the body who was probably struggling with this at a time saying, no, each one of you play a specific role and you need each other. For when the body's working together as one, you're doing what? What did the verse say? You are giving the honor. You're you're giving the credit to Christ. We're lifting up God in praise when we do this. Everything Christ did and orchestrated in his time on earth was for the purpose that we would be reunited with him one day. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Acts 1, in his last moments with the apostles and his instructions to them, he tells them what? My spirit, go and wait. Go and wait. My spirit is going to descend upon you and you will be witnesses The only way for you to be witnesses and to go out is to do what? Seek relationship. Seek conversation. To do life with people. They were confused in what to do for a moment. He's saying and looking at them going, we've been doing this. You've been doing this. You've walked alongside with me this whole time. We've been going from group to group. We're doing life with people. Now go and do it on your own. Sell all you have. A a laborer is worthy of his efforts, he tells them. It'll all make a way for you as you go and follow what I have for you. But as we then go into Acts chapter 2, our model is the early church when the disciples of Christ devoted themselves to fellowship and teaching from house to house. We see here in Acts chapter 2, so we all know what happened. Peter gives his sermon He gets the attention of all the people. In verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's making sure they all understand what just happened. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The most important question in the beginning of this new church Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 40 then, and with many words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 42 says, and then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any one had need. Verse 46, so continuing daily, with one accord in the, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food in gladness and simplicity of heart, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. After the ascension of Jesus, Peter gave them this sermon and brought their hearts to repentance. People to say, now what? Now what? In our typical human nature, after one question's answered, we do what? Ask another question. In this case, I feel like it's pretty easy to understand. It was again, now what? They, it just kept going. Well, now, now what do we do? As new Christians and followers of the disciples, the apostles' doctrine was given to them. And they did what? They were, they were directed to sell all they had. The first church became what? They became unified. What happens when they sold everything? They put all their food into one thing. It was probably pretty simple. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but trying to process what their needs were. Shelter, clothing, and food. We're all sitting here like, no, I got more needs than that. Well, you know, I know, but, but those are the three things. And when you get a larger group or when you fellowship with other people, you're going to have to do what? Simplify it a little bit more. And so God directed them to do this. So they were added to the church and they simplify things. They sell all their belongings and, and this comes together. So now each day all they're worried about is clothing and their food. So the first church was unified. Musicians, you can start to come. I'm going to try to close this out. What am I saying with all this? Why am I walking us through this scripture and pulling this together for our life groups and trying to convince or continue to encourage you to see the importance of not just life groups, but fellowship of the body of Christ. At Calvary, as many other churches probably too, God, we were God commissioned mission of making disciples. It's to help people do what? What's our purpose of making disciples? We can't help people walk through the salvation process and then just tell them they're on their own. It's our goal to make them do what? Feel like they belong. Feel like they're a part of the body. That they're learning God's word. That they're experiencing all God has to offer and encouraging them to share. Right? He said to go and wait. Now that you, I've given you this, now go and wait and be witnesses. We want them to share their time. We should all be sharing our time, our talents, and our treasures with others. So I ask us a few questions today as you stand. Calvary, are we that much different from the disciples today? Are we, are, is Calvary, is the church collectively Christian believers, are we that much different from the first church? I say in terms of practicality and what God intended for us, no. I think we overcomplicate it. I think sometimes it's as simple when we process putting ourselves out there in terms of making new friends inviting someone to a meal, creating a life group because of a life experience that you've had, joining 
a life group because you feel like it could uplift your life. I say again, life change happens in the context of relationship. So in a minute when they sing and begin to sing, I wonder, would you come to an altar today and consider where your heart is concerning fellowship? It's a different altar call today. Where's your heart concerning fellowship? Because we read in the word of God today that if our heart is right in fellowship with him, our heart's right in fellowship this way too. And vice versa. Would you come to the altar today and consider what your true needs are in life and what the true needs of are for the body of Christ? Are your gifts serving God? Are your gifts used in love? Because we can have all these great gifts and talents But if we don't do them or we don't use them for God in love, they're useless. We've missed the mark. We've missed why God gave us these gifts. We've missed the opportunity to edify, to lift up, to encourage and strengthen the body of Christ and to glorify God. Proverbs 16 and verse 9 says, A man's heart plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. I want to organize, I want to be intentional with my gifts in the way that God has given them to me, but I also want God to direct my life. I want God to use those as he sees fit. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.